Hello there and welcome to the podcast. It's John Markar here and I thought I'd just jump in with a very quick but very important message that I wanted to share with you before you delve into this episode of the Driven Chat podcast. This podcast, the Driven Chat podcast, has now come to an end. But don't worry, I'm not going to stop you from listening to this episode or from catching up with the 185 episodes that we've recorded in this format. I just wanted to let you know that if you're looking for our new episodes recorded after December 2023, then you'll need to seek out our new podcast, The Driven Podcast. You can find The Driven Podcast in all the usual podcast platforms, including, chances are, the one that you're listening to this one on right now. So please do enjoy this episode, share it with a friend by all means. But when it's done, don't forget to search for the new podcast, The Driven Podcast, and subscribe to the new format to hear the new stuff. To make life easy, head on over to the Driven website via driven.site. There you will find links through to the new podcast, including links to your preferred podcast platform. And hey, whilst you're there, why not check out everything else we do, including hand-picked automotive news stories, car and bike reviews, video features, and even more. For now, though, I'll let you enjoy this episode. And I will remind you again at the end of the episode, but for the future reference, this message is approximately 1 minute and 30 seconds long. That's six clicks on the 15-second skip button. Enjoy. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, everyone. I am Peter Hickman, and I am generally classed as a pain in the ass for most people, but I like to class myself as an international motorcycle racer. The Driven Chat Podcast in association with Paramex Digital. You dream it, we bring it to life. Find out more at drivenchat.com. Hi, hello, welcome to the latest Driven Chat Podcast. This is a little little pre-interview interlude, little intro from myself hey. and uh, Rachel Danny. Hi, Rach. Hi, how are you? I'm good. I'm really good. I'm really good. We've uh, <laughs> good. ventured up to the far north. I say yeah. the far north, not the far, far It's far. North. It's like the middle, Midlands-ish north. It's north far. The, just north of Lincoln, the lovely town of Lincoln. <laughs> it's far. It's from, from where you live <laughs> yeah. and from where I originate, it is quite far, yeah. but yeah, yeah. Uh, we're up here to talk to uh, Peter Hickman, who you've just heard from in the little intro there. Mm. And the reason we just wanted to say a quick chat and a, a quick hello, I should say, before we dive into the interview is because I know that the majority of our listenership are car-based and for this, it's going to be quite biker-based, but mm. stick with us. Yeah, do. Because I think you're going to enjoy this chat. We're obviously recording this little bit after we've had our interview, mm. and we know what's coming. Yes. So oh, you're in for a treat. We can say with confidence. Yeah. You're going to enjoy it. Yeah. You're going to be inspired. Definitely going to be inspired. And it's not It's not one of those things where it's like, oh, if I'm not interested in bikes, there's no point in me listening. Yeah. Absolutely no way. It was such an interesting chat. Yeah. Really, really was. I'm not going to say too much, actually. No, no spoilers. No spoilers. No spoilers. None. Um, <laughs> apart from the weird kind of tangent I went on about adverts yeah we need yeah we need to talk about that John yeah, yeah. yeah there, you'll there see what I mean and yeah it did involve horses <laughs> 
bloody Lloyds Bank and their adverts. Oh, <laughs> drive me nuts. Anyway, you'll, we'll get to that in a moment. Yeah, we will. Uh, just wanted to say thank you so much for listening. Mm-hmm. Uh, great to have you here. Don't forget, yeah. if you want to interact and contact us and, and talk to us, send us messages, you can do so via social media at Driven Chat or by dropping us an email, podcast at drivenchat.com. We will be very quiet for approximately four seconds and then we will dive straight into an interview that we've already recorded now the driven chat podcast in association with paramex digital well welcome to uh the driven chat podcast today we're with someone that not only is john marker incredibly excited about mm. um but it's slightly different for us i think well for me anyway to be talking to a man of bikes and um, we're talking to peter hickman peter hello Good morning. How are we doing? We're very good, thank you. Very good. Now, before we go and like start chatting and delve in, can you just describe and explain where we are right now? Because <laughs> I love it. I don't realise how much I love bikes and enjoy being around bikes, just because I'm obviously not. I'm around cars a lot more. Um, and it there. So yeah, explain where we are right now. So we are in a little town in Lincolnshire called Louth, which is ten okay. minutes from Cadwall Park. Uh, one of the best circuits in the world, by the way. Agreed. Just FYI. Yeah. Um, and is that why we're here as well? Because is that why this is here? Because uh, well, circuit. yeah, and I've lived around Louth now for well, since I was about seventeen, mm-hmm. generally speaking. Anyway, so um, my mum and dad moved to East Coast when I was like ten years old, and then when I was seventeen, I moved out and yeah, lived in Louth. So I kind of this is my home. Yeah. And then where we are right now, I've set up a performance center called PHR Performance uh, a couple of years ago, which is rapidly getting bigger and bigger uh, we're pretty much a one-stop shop for any any bikes on road off road track race we can build anything any manufacturer um yeah we're, we're a one-stop shop we've got dyno going in at the minute actually i'll show you that in a oh, bit cool. in a bit um suspension room that big soundproof yeah, that, <laughs> room, <laughs> big soundproof room is yeah. not yeah it's not an audio room oh, <laughs> <damn> it. <laughs> i was looking at it thinking hang on a minute we could be in there to do this to do. <laughs> but yeah, we've got a workshop. We can do engine tuning. We can do suspension. Mm. We have a, an, an, an official Olin's technician here as well. So even graphics, we can do paint. We can literally do everything. Oh, so wow. so your bike can roll in here as a road bike and leave as a full blown British superbike. Exactly the same spec. So we can That's do whatever brilliant. you want. Amazing. Yeah. I think we should. What I'd love to do. Obviously, we're going we're to talk about the workshop because I think it's a, a vital chapter to the mm. story. Um, and I love it when we have professional athletes or professional racers drivers riders who've got that kind of forward plan on what to do what am i going to do when i finish yeah exactly <laughs> exactly so i think it's, it's always fascinating to unpick yeah. that side of people's brains because so many people don't you know they, they, we, we a lot of us you know we'll live in this world where we are we're good at the thing we're doing right now and, and as far as we're concerned that's all we ever need to be good at yeah. and that's what we'll focus on so yeah and i think from an athlete's point of view or a sports person's point of view that's heightened a bit more as well because yeah. we're very much a breed of people that live for now mm. yeah, not for tomorrow definitely yeah. um so yeah it's it is an interesting concept isn't it but yeah, yeah i am one of probably the few people that has actually thought about what i'm gonna do when i retire <laughs> or or even, or even worse you know if i you know i could go and injure myself tomorrow or this weekend i'm at brands Hatch. like you, you don't really know what's going to happen in the future yeah. do you not to be morbid or anything but no, no. but you really don't no, so yeah, yeah i've um yeah plowed basically all my money into into this which at the moment i feel like why am i i could be on holiday somewhere we could be doing this podcast in i don't know the maldives or something couldn't we but we could uh, instead we're in laugh <laughs> laugh oh wow I didn't know that was an option i know technically my fault but you know in the future i'm, I'm hoping that it was the right decision <laughs> i've not been to the maldives but i 
I assume it's very similar to Laos. I, I think so as well. I've not been either. <laughs> identical. Yeah. I, I, totally <laughs> just identical. The same. Just a yeah. few less palm trees. That's yeah, 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 yeah. One or two less, and that's it. <laughs> so how did it how did it start with you for the love of with the love of bikes? Was it your dad? Was it yeah. like who? Yeah, it was my dad. Yeah. Could hit the nail on the head straight away. Hey, done. <laughs> End of interview. <laughs> that was easy. Yeah, so my dad raced back in the 70s, back in the glory days of motorcycle racing. I think you could yeah. class it as, you know, when there was 200,000 people turning up to around, not wow. not 50,000, which we get now, which is still a big, you know, yeah. we have really, really big crowds at British Superbike. You know, Cadwell Park's between fifty and 60,000 people. It's a big, big event. But, you know, back in the day, we were talking like you couldn't sit anywhere. There was that many people there. Well, my dad came through that, really. So he actually started car racing originally. Mm. Um, he did all sorts. He worked for a brewery to start with, and then he worked for a car dealer. He actually built TVRs, so kit cars and wow. stuff so for, for a dealership. So he'd go to the customer and actually build the car on the customer's drive. Oh, wow. Um, he could then... Because of that, he was obviously around good sports cars a lot, could drive really, really well himself. He did a bit of rallying, he did hot rodding, uh, banger racing, a bit of all sorts. Um, Got bored of the cars racing-wise, always didn't like the racing as such. Um, So he always rode bikes on the road anyway. Uh, And it got to a point where all of his mates, he was waiting for them all the time. So the riding to wherever. And then he'd be sat there for five minutes waiting for them lot to catch up, pretty much. So yeah. it was one of his mates, I believe, that said to him, why don't you go racing? Because you, you are always waiting for all of us lot. So yeah. you're obviously faster than us. Go racing. So he went to a race school, uh, Alton Park. I can't remember the the rider that um, that taught him, but it was it was a world champion at the time. It might have been Stuart Graham. Um, taught him round, round Alton Park. Uh, and then he started racing. So he, had, he actually had a really, really short career. Um, which unfortunately ended with injury. Mm. But he started in 73. He was British or ACU champion in 75. So in a couple of years, he was already a champion. Mm. And then he actually raced at Grand Prix and the TT, won a Manx TT on a 250 in 77, uh, and raced <laughs> at Grand Prix um, from about 76 to, to 79, which is when his career ended, unfortunately, at Mallory Park at the post-TT. So... I'm going to try and make a long story short, but <laughs> once he'd, he had to retire because of injuries. So he went into hospital in 79, he came out in 81. So two years in hospital. So that wow. was a oh, wow. big, big injury. He'd yeah. run over twice. Very, very lucky to still be here, but mm. um, couldn't, he actually did ride afterwards. He wasn't meant to. He did ride afterwards. He mm. never raced again for mm. obvious reasons. He's got too much damage. And if he goes down again, then yeah. that'll be pretty much the end of him. So he became, he was already an engineer. He was already a mechanic, obviously, from building and racing everything himself. Because back then, everyone did everything themselves. They didn't mm. really have teams around them yeah, as such. Yeah. Um, he became a development engineer, um, ran at Grand Prix with Grand Prix riders, play, people like Ian McConaughey, uh, Paul Lewis, for anybody back in the day that can remember any of them names. Mm. Um, and then ran with, a, uh, ran with a company called EMC for a little bit as well at Grand Prix, so ran 250s. Uh, and then became involved in the Norton Rotary era. So from 87, 88. So I was born in 87. So this is where I come into it. <laughs> Getting back to what we were talking about. <laughs> um, he was involved in the Rotary Nortons, which then became the JPS Nortons and Duckham's Nortons later on. Uh, I grew up around that era. So um, so for me, I grew up around the paddock. When at four years of age, I did half a Grand Prix season with my mum and dad in a seven and a half tonner with a caravan on the back doing the Grand Prix series. That's so cool. And yeah. at that age as yeah. well. Yeah, I mean, amazing. I can 
vaguely remember tiny little bits. Yeah. And obviously, mum and dad's got a good few photos, which is always interesting. I actually had hair back then, which oh, is wow. which is nice. Long yeah. Time ago. But yeah, it was a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so I, I grew up around it. Um, mm. So I always wanted to race. He obviously always told me no, absolutely no chance. That's interesting that he yeah. was- didn't. Is that because of the accident that happened? Yeah, to you just yeah, and it's a tough sport, you know. I think yeah. um, I think probably the only tougher sport than ours, as such, is is probably motocross and supercross. Mm. Mm. It's tough on your body as, as much as mentally. Yeah. Um, I think we have as much of a mental side to it to to ours as, as motocross does, but we have less of the physical because they get really battered by all the jumps and bumps, yeah. and generally they hurt themselves quite a lot. Yeah. We tend to not do that so much, but we still have that battle in, in your head mm. of sorting out your own you know, progression and speed or whatever it may be. Mm. Um, yeah, it's just a really tough sport with not a lot of money in it. And, yeah. and yeah. For, for him, he didn't want me in that arena. He so was, like, was that primarily, because I think the go-to thoughts about you know, dad discouraging you from racing would be primarily because of the injury side. But do you mm. think there was a bit more of an element of... I think it was everything. Yeah. Yeah, I think he was just not keen on putting his son into that mm. air arena. Yeah. And my answer to that was I went and bought a bike when I was 12 without telling him. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. So you just once you had that in you. Yeah. Yeah, um, right from being a kid, I wanted to do it. And he yeah. was absolutely no. And then he, in 96, he retired. So I was only nine at that time. He retired. Uh, Mum and dad moved from where they were living in, in Swaddling Coat in the Midlands, mm-hmm. moved to the East Coast, get away from it all, like get away from racing, get away from anyone who knew that, that my dad was a mechanic because everyone would always bring cars and vans and bikes <laughs> around and, oh, this is broke, can you fix it kind I mean, of I'd thing. Do that, yeah, yeah. So, so like, yeah, my dad has kind of had enough of all that. So moved to the East Coast, went fishing and that was it. That was it. He was done, really. He was mm. enjoying life. Um, with that, his mistake was he took me to Cardwell Park for a BSB event when I was what probably I know I was about uh, 11 years of age I would say yeah I must have been 11 um, and they had uh, so one of his apprentices almost if you like when he was running the team was then a team manager at Honda oh, okay. so he was actually running the Cashwell Honda team which was John McGuinness Kurt McCarthy at the time uh, so we got some free tickets, I don't know, to go along, mm. go and have a watch. And they had the Aprilia Super Team Challenge there, which is a Aprilia 125 road bikes that are then converted to race. Um, and you could race them from 12 years of age. Um, oh, there, was, there was some <laughs> massive names there that Casey Stoner was racing. Oh, wow. Chaz Davies was racing. Wow. Craig Jones. There was like all these names that then yeah. became big names yeah. after that. But I'm there as an 11-year-old going, oh. What in, and I remember even turning to my dad and going, oh, in one year's time, I can do that. And <laughs> really? dad's like, absolutely, no, you cannot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and pretty much from that day until, yeah, it took me about a year. I used to get a pound a week uh, pocket money. Um, so that was that. I just saved the whole lot till I had 50 quid. So it took me about a year. And then I just went and bought an AR50 in a wheelbarrow full of bits. Not run for God knows how long. Oh swapped God. it 50 quid and I swapped my radio controlled aeroplane because we've always been into I don't people in bikes are always into planes I don't I know if you've noticed that. this yeah, yeah and yeah. also plane people are also into bikes I don't yeah. know what it is I don't yeah. know where the comparison is so but random. it's very random but it seems to be everywhere yeah mm. okay. if, if you're into one you're into the other yeah anyway we always used to fly radio controlled aeroplanes so I swapped my plane and 50 quid for yeah an old beat up 1980 something AR50 wow. which I wish I'd have kept because it would be worth about eight grand now oh, 
hindsight's a dangerous yeah, thing. Yeah, 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 it is. Cars it and is. bikes we used to own. But that was it. That was how it started. That's how I got into it. I hid it around the back of the house. He found it about two weeks later when, <laughs> when he eventually found it. Yeah. Obviously gave me a bollocking and then decided that if I was going to do it anyway, then he would teach me the correct way to do it. Yeah. Um, help, that? help me build it. And being on that bike, were you like, yes, this is, I'm comfortable with this? Yeah, I don't, yeah, I never really. Did you love it? Yeah, straight mm. away. Yeah, I was like, my next door neighbor or next door but one um, had a business where he rented tractors and stuff. So he had loads of land out the back of his house. So I literally used to just go and ride in, in his field. And mm. I would just go round and round in circles and make tracks up and just all by myself. So there's no one even yeah. there. Just used to go ride, round, 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 and just, yeah, learn. And never, and even at that point, as much as I wanted to race, I had no idea of how I could go racing. Like, mm. I had no concept of, well, even at that age, no concept of money or, or time or yeah. how it all works or yeah. anything, you know? So um, it was only after that that a, that a guy in the village that used to race, God bless him, John Kirby, he, part of his family had started racing mini motos. Yeah. Now, the kid called William Kirkham was actually naturally quite talented. Uh, and his his dad, Phil, I'm sure he won't mind me saying, has got a little bit of money, has, a, has, a, has his own business. I wouldn't say he's dead flush or anything like that, but he had a little bit of money. So he had all the bikes and all the gear, but had no mechanical knowledge really at all. And the bike kept breaking down all the time. So the kid was good, but, but the bike would never make the end of the race or would never do a full meeting or whatever. So John got my dad to mechanic the bikes for them in between the rounds. Right. And that's where then things started to happen. Because like, then because <laughs> then Will started to finish in the top three all the time because the bike wasn't breaking down. Mm-hmm. And then they were like, oh, well, we've got a spare bike. Why don't you come and do a local race meeting one time? And then that's how it kind of started. <laughs> and what was dad's reaction at that point then? Was he kind of like, was yeah. there a part of him that was wanted to hold you back? Or? Yeah, I think so. But I think he could also see it inevitably happening anyway. Yeah. So yeah. he kind of, we went, he begrudgingly went to this round. <laughs> <laughs> I used the spare bike and, and did all right. I've got no idea where I finished. I remember getting my knee down for the first time, hmm. even in my first event. Wow. Um, and then John Kirkby, who was the old boy who started all that kind of thing happening, he uh, he was like, oh, he's done really, really well, Dave. You need to take him to the next round. Dad's like, oh, absolutely no chance. We can't, A, we can't afford it. Mm. B, I, don't, I still don't want him to do it. Anyway, John was the tightest person you've ever met in your life. <laughs> like, he would not put the heating on because it, that cost money. Like, oh, wow. he, okay. would, he would just put another jacket on in the house. That's the kind of person he was. <laughs> yeah. and, he, and he said to my dad, I will pay for him to go to the next round. Wow. You need to take him to the next round. So, so really, I've got John to thank for, yeah. for where I am today as much as anyone else because yeah. it was him that kind of forced my dad's hand. Oh, Amazing. Wow. And so when you started racing and obviously you realised, I'm, I'm good at this, I love this, I'm assuming your dad began to trust the process because mm. he could see that, you know, it was working. When do you then make that transition from someone who's doing it for fun to... I don't know, maybe getting sponsored or getting paid to do that. Very difficultly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, bikes is, as an all motorsports, difficult mm-hmm. anyway. Um, I, think, I think bikes is particularly difficult mm-hmm. because the market is a lot smaller. Mm-hmm. Like, you can talk to anybody about cars because yeah, those true. people's got a car. Yeah. Not everyone's got a bike, mm-hmm. you know. So the, the people that are interested is a smaller group of people. Um. From the first race, I actually had a really fast progression through through the ranks, if you like. Um, that was only really because of my dad. 
And I've had a really, I still do have a really, really good relationship with my dad. Not a normal lad and mm. or lad and dad relationship where you all fall out and yeah. he tells you to do one thing and you do the opposite. That, I I never really had that with him apart from buying a bike, which he told me not to. Yeah. But anyway, apart from that bit, <laughs> you know, if he said, look, this is how you need to approach this track or this corner or this, this is what you need to do. Do this. Don't do that. I, I did what I was told. So I went from never riding a bike at 12 years of age to put it into perspective, I first rode a superbike at 18. Well, 17, actually, I rode a, a superbike. I actually rode one. I raced one from oh. 18. Mm. So in five years, I went from learning what a clutch was and gears and a throttle to riding a superbike. That's mad. Which is like... Insane. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we're talking full-blown British superbike at the time. So, yeah, that's a massively fast progression for someone who's not done anything. Mm. Yeah. But it was all because of him, Yeah. really. It was because he cut my mistakes out before I'd made them yeah. and went, you need to do it this way. And I would listen and do it. Mm. That's brilliant to have that. Yeah. So, so, so literally from, from zero to, well, British Superbike, the first actual race I did in British Superbike, I was 18 years of age. So in within 12 years, uh, within six years, sorry, from 12 to 18, I actually mm. made my first British Superbike appearance. And what was that like? Can you remember it? Yeah, yeah, I do remember it. Yeah, it was my birthday on the weekend, so I turned 19 on the, on that weekend. That's a cool way to yeah. celebrate your birthday. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then I finished like, 22nd or 24th or yeah. something. I was, but I wasn't, I wasn't last. <laughs> and I was, you know, I was proper young and not been riding very long. And, and yeah, I, by the end of the year, I'd, I was finishing inside the top 10. Wow. I had, uh, yeah, I had two teammates at the time, and by the end of the year, I was beating the two teammates that were both kind of well-known riders and front runners. Yeah. So, so for me as a 19-year-old, I was a bit like, ah, yeah. this is all right. Yeah, <laughs> and, I and like, yeah, and usually that that comes with a load of crashing. Like your first year in superbike, in particular, especially back then as well, because there was no traction control or anything then either. Yeah. Like you, you generally crash quite a lot. I mean, even now, like an average for a superbike, British superbike rider is about. 10 crashes maybe 12 crashes a year that's like average for a superbike rider in my first year while learning i did five wow so like i oh, wasn't wow. like i was throwing it down the road every five minutes but that all all comes back again to what my dad had mm. taught me and was still teaching me at the time and like yeah. almost kind of a mental coach but not not too invasive into me like it would just be little things all the time just yeah. a little thing you need to look at this and just yeah. have a look at that and be careful of that don't you know just watch this yeah. that sort of thing not not necessarily kind of like you need to do this and you've yeah. got to do that it wasn't he wasn't a pushy parent at all he was it was very much the opposite you respected if, each other yeah, yeah yeah exactly that i guess i yeah i think that's probably the best way of mm. describing the whole relationship really yeah um you know even there was times when i had I had a really big accident in uh, well, I did the Aprilia Super. I did get to do the Aprilia Super Team Challenge, so I did get my way in the end. <laughs> <laughs> so as I was coming up, I got knocked off at Snetterton, and I actually got run over. Funnily enough, um, and I was then taken to the medical centre, and I'd got loads of cuts and bruises, and leathers had actually been ripped off my back, which is really unusual. Um, so I had like loads of gravel rash and all sorts. I was laid in the medical centre, and he was like, "Right, this is it now. Time to give up. Then like, just just leave it, leave it there. Don't worry about it. We'll just go home." And, and that's that. And I was like, no, yeah. <laughs> like, no, yeah. not at all. I want to, I want to race tomorrow. And he's like, nah, that ain't happening. The bike's bent and da, 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 da. Anyway. That's his fear though, isn't it? Yeah. 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 It was all, but he was always, that's what I mean about not being pushy. Yeah. He wasn't the one pushing me to do it. It was always me that wanted to do it. So one of the things I wanted to ask, and it picks up slightly on one of the points that Rachel brought up earlier is I'm always fascinated to learn 
at what point you as a rider or, or professional racing drivers get to that point where they realize like so does something click in your head where you go oh actually I am quite good at this and with that because obviously you had a lot of support around you from people sorting bikes and of course your dad did you have that same comment from dad at any point where he went do you know what actually you're all right uh from my own side I don't know when the switch flicked if you, if you yeah. like I don't really I'm not I'm not conscious of when I kind of went ah oh, actually mm. <laughs> I'm pretty good at this I think it was more I just as I do with most things in life anyway I just enjoy to do stuff yep. and because I was enjoying it I was just I wasn't really thinking about it I was just going and having fun I was doing my own thing um, from my dad's side I think I don't know if he's ever even directly told me. <laughs> still waiting, aren't yeah, you? Still waiting. Yeah, I think. Well, he, surprise. Yeah, yeah. He'd quite happily tell other people whether yeah. he'd tell me. Mm. I think he probably has said it at some point. I don't really know when, but yeah, he will. He will have said it. I bet in his head he thinks he has. Yeah, and I think yeah, he, just I d- showing up sometimes, yeah. being there as a person, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, my mum and dad—they come to every round. Like, they—they they pretty much yeah. never ever miss a miss a round, um, which is getting increasingly difficult at the minute. My mum's unfortunately got MS, mm. um, which does not help the situation at all. But um, she's uh, she's a strong little cookie, really. She, yeah. Uh, yeah, she's a uh, yeah. They normally come to every single round anyway. So it's been um, yeah, it's been a good journey as a family, even like all yeah. together. It's been uh, yeah, it's been really good. But going back to what you were saying about getting professional and getting sponsored, I. That, that Will's dad, Phil, basically, we created a team after I started riding and I did a couple of events and stuff like that. The next year, um, my dad bought the bike somehow. I don't know how my mum and dad actually managed to do that because they've got zero money at all. So I don't know where they managed to find the money to, to buy me a, a little Polini 911R is what it was, a little mm. Minimoto. But basically, that's what William had as well. So then we made a two-rider two team. Phil helped out with a bit of costs. My dad would mechanic the bikes, and that was how the team ran for a couple of years. So that went from mini motos. Then we went to Aprilia Super Team 125s, and the same thing. Phil actually bought the bike for the for the Super Team because we couldn't afford it. Mm. Um, but the deal was he bought the bike, but then my dad would mechanic them so that so deal. that will yeah. So it kind of worked yeah. both ways, you know. It kind of yeah. That was so that was kind of Phil and John was my my first sponsors if you like so even mm. as a kid even yeah. starting out I actually had a little bit of help which yeah. was you know help is massive in in all forms of sport mm. but motorsport in particular mm. um after that I got a little bit of help from the Kawasaki team which was Hawk Kawasaki at the time which is now build base Suzuki still the Hawk team mm. uh, Stuart Hicken he bought me a 400 um ZXR 400 for the year after and then the year after that, it was a ZX10. So I, I literally went into from wow. a, a, one, a mini moto, a 125, a 400 to a 1,000 all in four years, which is like huge, big jumps. Yeah. Um, but Stuart managed to find another sponsor, another Stuart actually, called uh, Stuart Tromans from Astro Van Center, who still helps me now. <laughs> um, so he kind of helped run the, the bike in 2004, that was. Uh, and then I ran for Stuart Tromans with the Astro team in 2005 in Superstock. And then 2006 was my first... Um, BSB venture with the Hawk Kawasaki team at the time. Wow. Has there ever been a period where you've fallen out of love with it? Nope. Really? So you've Not kept yet. that even when it becomes because that's the thing. Sometimes when a hobby, a love, a passion becomes a job, 
it changes how you feel about it. Yeah, well, that's the interesting thing about the job side of it. So by 2006, I was in the British Superbike Championship. Mm. I'd been in the championships since 2004. So I did 2004, 2005 in Superstock. 2006, I was in Superbike. I still never got paid until 2013. Oh, wow. Oh, wow, okay. So even though I was in a professional arena... Yeah. And finishing somewhere near the front sometimes, not all the time. I, I never actually got paid. I was lucky that I had some sponsors help pay for things. So it wasn't mm. necessarily costing me money to go all the time. It did. There were certain years where we ran our own team even for a bit. So obviously that cost money. Um, but I managed to, to find sponsors or helpers one way or another. But I never actually physically got paid until 2013. And what um, was that like? Um, drinks on me yeah well you say drinks on me I got 12 grand for a year so there was 12 round championship I got a thousand pound around that was it oh, yeah. wow. so that's probably not what everyone no, expects so, you know, you know I'm you in British about. superbikes and by that point I've been in superbikes for like seven years or whatever and still wasn't even getting minimum wage you know it's like and the, for the risk and all the rest yeah. of it like doesn't even compute at all and the year after I didn't even have a superbike ride you know I finished in 13 I finished uh, 11th in the superbike championship not didn't set the world alight don't get me wrong but i also wasn't yeah, yeah. Uh, and then still didn't end up with a ride for the year after unless you know I, I needed a 50 grand check to go to a team and go here's 50 grand let me ride your bike or don't have a ride so mm. i didn't have a 50 grand check so yeah. i didn't have a ride and that's when that's when i looked at moving to the different side of the sport and doing a bit of road racing which had never really been on my radar. In 13, I did go to the TT and watch, and I absolutely loved it. Mm-hmm. Um, I rode a bike round, just a, just a road bike, just went and had a little look round, and I absolutely fell in love with the place. Still wasn't necessarily thinking of racing it, but just loved the whole mm. spectacle. And then once it was like, well, you haven't got a ride, I wanted to keep riding. And one way I could do it in a cheap, cheaper fashion yeah. was to go road racing, because... What people probably don't realise is in British Superbike, there is no start money. There is no prize money. So if you win a race, you get zero. You get the, you get the trophy that sat behind you, which I got for third place last weekend at Donington. Yeah. But that is it. There is no money in it. There's no prize money. There's no start money. There's no team money for the team, even from the organisers. Oh, there, yeah. there isn't anything. So to earn money in BSB is hard work. Mm. Whereas if you go road racing... If you've got a bit of a name or you're good at what you do, what you do, you'll get a little bit of start money and you will get prize money. Okay. So that was a whole new spectacle for me. I was like, oh, this is interesting. Yeah, and, <laughs> and what was that like? Let's the first road race, the first time you were there. Yeah, so my first road race was 2014. Um, so I've been racing big bikes, thousand cc bikes for ten years at that time. So I was well capable of, mm. and I've been riding super bikes. When I went to the road racing, I actually rode a super stock bike, so a lesser bike if you like, much much easier to ride. Um, basically, I did that because a it's cheaper. And B, I was boss of the bike, not the bike boss of me. A lot of the time, the super bikes can be boss of you, and it, they mm-hmm. take a lot of manhandling. Mm. Um, super stock bike, not so much. They're still a big, fast bike, don't get me wrong, but if you're used to a super bike, a super stock bike's a pussycat. Mm-hmm. So uh, that was one of my reasons for doing it. I ran with a team called Ice Valley, which Paul Shoesmith, God bless him, uh, let me have the bike basically for free. If I crashed it, I had to mend it. But apart from that, yeah. I had to cover fuel and tires. Um, which cost like I don't know four or five grand for a, for a 
a weekend or whatever at the Northwest. So I went to the Northwest 200. My first race was on the Thursday. It was a sunny day. It was nice. Uh, and I finished ninth in my first ever road mm -hmm. race. I had no practice that year at all. I didn't do any racing because I didn't do any BSBs or anything like that. So I was really rusty and green. And I finished right behind Guy Martin, less than a second behind Guy Martin in my first race. And at the time, I mean, Guy still is a big name in the sport now mm -hmm. for bikes. Um, but he was like massive at the time. Like everyone was talking about Guy Martin and how awesome he was. And I finished within a second behind him. And if it had been another lap longer, I'd have beaten him. Mm. Yeah. So I was a bit like, huh, this will do then yeah, for my first go. <laughs> then I found out prize money at the Northwest only goes down to eighth place. And then I was a bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the rest, I guess the rest is kind of history. We went to the, to the TT two weeks later. Uh, I became the fastest mm. ever newcomer at, what was it like at the there? time. Like you say that, like yeah. it's just, oh, right, I just popped out here. Yeah, I mean, that's down. huge. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the TT is just unbelievable. There is no other word to describe it. Mm. Um, you just, yeah, anyone who's not been is thinking about going mm. or isn't even remotely interested still needs to go because mm. it is unbelievable. Like, I, you can't describe it. Words cannot describe what that event is about and how it makes you feel. It's. Really? There is nothing else on this planet like it. I think what we'll we'll, we'll definitely I think TT is going to become a chapter for this conversation. I can mm. just feel it. <laughs> so before we dive into that, I just wanted to ask that transition from circuit riding to street. I would just assume, as somebody that I ride bikes myself, I've do a lot of stuff on track, but I've never done anything on two wheels on track. It's always been cars. For me, the idea of track days on bikes is something I really want to experience, but I, it doesn't excite me in the same way that cars does. And I think it's because that risk element. If I now think of street race, TT, Northwest, to me, all sorts of alarm bells go from my brain. Of like, <laughs> Red flag. That's the stupidest thing you could yeah. ever possibly do. But at the same time, it's so exciting to, to what I, I love TT week. I love just dipping in and out of certain races and watching yeah. certain riders go around. For you, having done a lot of circuit riding and circuit racing competently, was there an element of that at all for you before going into street? A fear, not at all, no. Right. No, no, nothing. I think once you've... Me, myself, anyway, I can only really talk about myself, I guess, mm. is is for me, whatever I decide I'm going to do, I'm, I'm, I'm very one-track-minded. Um and I'm not a worrier, so I never, ever worry about what if. Like, mm. what if never comes into my vocabulary ever because mm. I'm just not that person. Mm. And that's life in general, not just racing. So I'm not a nervous person, and I think that's because of that outlook on life. Definitely. I'm not I'm not a kind of what will be will be, but and I don't necessarily believe in fate either, but mm. I also don't think you can change what's about to happen. Like, if I go off on the... The, 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 the most dangerous part of a Brit Superbike race generally is the start on turn one. Mm -hmm. And that's why, generally speaking, everyone's nervous on the start because, ooh, what's about to happen? What if? What if? What if? But I can't control what them other 29 riders are going to do. I can only control what I'm going to do. Mm -hmm. So if I'm going to do it, I'm already committed to it. So why worry about it? Yeah. yeah. That's kind of, that's where I, how, how I look at things. Yeah. But I, I don't consciously look at it like that that's just how i look at it mm. so because of that i don't get nervous and i don't worry about it so going to the tt for me was like just like nipping to cadwell park it was no no real different apart from i knew how long the circuit was you know 37 and three quarter miles it's a long ass circuit mm. there's 
they believe about 260 corners-ish, something like that. I don't know. I've never counted them. Um, <laughs> I don't even know all the names to them. Yeah. Um, but I, So I did my homework. So in myself, I was more than confident that I could ride around there as fast as I wanted, no problem at all, and not make any mistakes. And, and, what about things, and that is all I can control. What about manhole covers and curb stones and brick yeah. walls and telephone boxes and post boxes? Does well, that ever... Well, the brick walls, telephone boxes, lamp posts, you don't ever want to get anywhere near anyway. So <laughs> yeah. they don't p- become part of the homework. <laughs> right, yeah. Manhole covers, yes. Yeah. Curbs, yeah. yes. Yeah. Because yeah. um, I think that's that's the challenge for me. That's what I struggle to get my head around is if I come off on a circuit, it might hurt. I might skid along for a mm. bit. I might get a hot bum whilst I skid along the tarmac and then maybe break a wrist in some gravel. And at worst, I'm going to hit a soft, cushiony tire wall and that's me done when it goes wrong. If that happens on a street circuit, it could be quite a different outcome. But that's because you're thinking of the negative, not the yeah. positive. Yeah. <laughs> and you trust yourself. I think yeah. you trust your abilities, you trust your skill set, you trust you. And yeah. do you think that is probably, yeah. Yeah, and not just me, but the bike, the, the mechanics, the people yeah. I have around me, because obviously they're also the people, that the last people to touch that bike, the last people to talk to me before I set off down Glen Crutchley Road. You know, yeah. you need to have the right people around you and the right bike and all the rest of it. You know, the people in the FHO team that I've got around me are just mega. You know, they're all my mates as well. Yeah. And because of that, they are extra. Well, no, I wouldn't say because of that, but they are just, they're so good at what they do. And mm-hmm. like, I even watch them, you know, we don't even say double or triple check. They like quadruple and whatever after that. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't even know either. Yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> anyway, um, I, you know, I've watched them like talk the, the front wheel like five times. I'm like, I've watched you do that. Yeah, I know it's yeah. fine. It's and they're okay. like, yeah, I know, but I need to check again. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so you've that, got that trust That's there, the know. sort of people that they are. Yeah. So like, I literally don't, I, I never even think about the bike or whether it's going to do something bad or what. Like it never even enters my head because I just know that they've got it under control. Yeah. And I know I've got myself under control. So, that's all I'm thinking about. That is a, I like, I love the, the positive outlook of, yeah, focus on the positives, but to have that confidence in your team, that's so special, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, there are, I can think of Formula One drivers now who are racing at the absolute peak of their lifetime career who wouldn't be able to say the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So to be able to go into competition knowing that, yeah, these guys and girls have got my back entirely, completely, mm-hmm. that's a really, really powerful thing. No, it's really good. And it's something that, um, yeah, has been building over a good few years as well it's not like a it's not an overnight thing mm. no. and to get the right dynamic in the team is also difficult so we mm. all get on like we would all go out and we do for like nights out mm. together mm-hmm. like away from racing like don't think you know it's not work it's because we want to be around each other yeah and not every team has that no, no. you know and you know anybody that's been in our team that's been hard work or not necessarily a bad egg but just kills the vibe all the time doesn't mm. last very long no. yeah. we just they get moved on and we bring someone else in because there's no room for it yeah. you know we all need to get on and especially things like tt you know it's so high pressure i would say not necessarily for the rider as much i think it's actually if anything i would say it's worse on the team than it is on me because mm. if something went wrong with that bike it's their fault not mine but it's yeah. my life that's on the line not theirs yeah. and i think that element is really tough on a person yeah like you you've just done up the front wheel and i set off down Glen crutchery road and something happens yeah that's your fault not mine mm. 
and yeah, the, yeah. the end result can be catastrophic, obviously. So like for them to put themselves in that position is actually really, really tough. That's why he talked it up four times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> definitely. Five. I, I do it a hundred times. Oh but my they God, do, yeah. and I, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I take the because I'm like, yeah. what are you doing? I thought you should do it like Yeah, yeah, yeah. Five I'm going to be fine. Yeah, Don't yeah. worry. Like, chill your beans. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's weird because the Isle of Man TTs, and I know we've chatted about it, I, I'm very torn about what I, well, no, I know what I feel about it. Hmm. But also I sometimes think, I think it's an incredibly dangerous race. I think you know, the risk, you guys, I don't think the risk is worth the race. Hmm. But I've also never been, so no. I don't feel like I should have those opinions until, you know, until I go basically. And then I can reevaluate what I think, which is mad because I, I love racing. I've, you know, working in it for years and years. And yeah, the Isle of Man, it's just something, it sticks with me mm. in that way. And yeah. And so when you, you obviously have to come across people that have these yeah, views. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. What, what, what do you say to people? Come and experience it. Yeah. And then have an opinion. And why would my opinion change when I'm there? Is it just because I would see, actually, I get it. I think because, because again, it goes back to that positive-negative thing. Mm. Because you've never experienced it, the, the most you know about that race is the negative. Yes. You don't know about the positive because you've not been, you've not experienced it. But mm. because of media or our human way that we are we co we constantly focus on negative mm. that is all your negative is overpowering what you think is good about the event yeah yeah totally I, but you won't yeah. ever know what the good about the event is unless you actually go or unless you really invest into going actually i want to understand more yeah. until you do that you'll never it's true yeah i don't think you'll ever understand it i want to understand why you guys love it so much when there are fatalities every, you know, all the time. And I know you go into it knowing that. And that, again, for me, is like, that's... You're going into something knowing mm. that at the end of that week, there is going to be people, like, a negative connotation on socials, on, you know, everyone's got their yeah, opinion. Yeah. Um, but it fascinates me as well that, it, yeah, it's one of those, yeah... I, so crudely, elusive. crudely, that is also part of the challenge, is yeah. that risk... Yeah. as it is with all forms of motorsport i think and i know uh, i agree we're constantly everyone's trying to make things safer and safer and i get all that short circuit wise but there will also be an element that then become makes it boring because it's yeah. too safe and mm -hmm. too safe is probably the wrong no, i phrase. find myself saying that about certain races as well but, but like, it is yeah i mean there's yeah there's loads of things happening recently in particular that's just daft from a circuit racing point of view in my opinion but anyway that's just that's another story <laughs> but like you can't say sanitize it too much because the whole point of motorsport is that little bit of risk is what makes everything so exciting when someone overtakes someone you think oh my god that was yeah. in the place where we wouldn't expect an overtake yeah. because of yeah. you know that that bit needs to stay there obviously that is like huge at the tt because the risk is massive at the mm. end of the day however it's two weeks of the year not every weekend mm. it's not weekend in weekend out yeah you are still more likely to get run over by a bus if you walk across the street. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's so many different ways of looking at it. And like mm. the whole, the death thing, risk, why do you put yourself through it? Why do people go up Everest? Yeah, yeah. 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 How yeah, many people get yeah, killed yeah, a year on Everest? Yeah. Yet yeah. people still go with that knowledge, knowing yeah. that I might not come home. Mm. People still do it. Yeah. Why? Yeah. 
it's about the achievement it's about the challenge mm. and it's about taking on that risk that then gives them a sense of achievement or i don't know it's different for, for every yeah. person i guess but there's loads of things in life that that can hurt you or worse mm. it's true there are also normally the things that are the best things to yeah. do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, God damn it. <laughs> why? Why? No, it's true. And yeah, I, I, I think as well, because it is all condensed in those two weeks, because it's like it's a spotlight on that race. And mm. as soon as even the smallest thing happens that's slightly negative, you know people are going to be like, well, there we go. Mm. Told you. You've got to stop Told it. you you shouldn't do that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. So yeah, yeah I obviously need... I, I want to go. I want to... There you go. Get, get your plane booked for 2023. Yeah. Come and have a look. Yeah. I think it. it I, I think there's a there's a dispatches TV show in it for you and I where <laughs> I kind of support it but have never been. You are against it and then we go and we have our minds changed or something. That's good. We'll see. Yeah. We'll, pi- we'll pitch <laughs> we'll that pitch one it. later yeah. to Channel 4. Yeah. <laughs> one of the things we have to bring up whilst we're on the subject of the TT is, of course, your outright lap record, which is... I'm looking at the figures now because I have to bring them up every time because I'm like, I think it said 16 minutes and I'm sure it said the average speed was about 135 miles an hour and I'm thinking that can't be right. But no, it is. 16 minutes, 42 seconds. 42.778 seconds. Yes. I love how you know that. (laughs) This is, I mean, that is obviously impressive. It's, It's impressive for anyone that knows about the TT and knows the scale of that course. For people that don't, for people that aren't aware of the size of the circuit and the complexity of the corners, they might go, well, okay, is that, is that a good number? But if I say the average speed, and this is where I think most people, <laughs> their brains slightly explode, the average speed that you did on that lap in 16 minutes, 42 seconds, 778 milliseconds, was 135.4 miles per hour. Average. Average. (laughs) (laughs) Boom. It's the average bit that people... Yeah. 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 And and so anyone that thinks, oh, yeah, 135 miles an hour, that's fast. You know, some people might have experienced 135 miles an hour in their own car or on a bike or something. But that's the word. The average speed. That includes slowing down corners that you're doing at maybe 15, 20 miles an hour. Yeah. An average of 135. It's... Peels my brain apart. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) So to blow your brain a little bit more. It's going to really hurt after this. So, uh, yeah. So there's a good few slow corners. So there's about four first gear corners. Mm. Uh, Most of them are between, yeah, around 20 mile an hour-ish. So there's a good four of them throughout the lap. So they really kill the... Kill the average speed. Um, but between the start line and Ramsey hairpin mm. is about 25 miles ish, so a good two thirds of the track, maybe a little bit more. The average speed on that lap from the start line to Ramsey was like 148 Jeez. miles an hour. So Aren't you just screaming that, internally? Yeah, to put to put that into perspective, really, uh, and this is a guess from my side, is 95% of the lap is over 160 miles an hour. Wow. And we're riding on B roads, not A roads, mm. they're B roads. Um, but yeah, that's, that's yeah, 95% of the lap is over 160 miles an hour, so it's... And the point that like you I got said, that record, unbelievable. Yeah, well, it is. <laughs> That's it why is. you need to actually come and like, because you'll sit there on a the roadside and go, nah, they won't be going that fast through here. Yeah, yeah. Like, I've taken people who are fast, competent road riders 
in a car around the track and gone, oh, right, through here. I'm just clicking fifth gear. So like that's like 175 mile an hour and turning right. And they're like, absolutely no chance. I'm like, <laughs> no, it really is. <laughs> yeah. You're and lying. they're looking at the corner going, <laughs> it's, it's, not not, it's not possible. Yeah. I'm like, it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Go Watch Google this. me. Yeah. <laughs> Hold You'll my beer see. and watch It this. literally blows people's brains. Yeah. And that's people who understand bikes and understand racing or riding yeah. at a fast, yeah. competent level going, wow. So yeah. you take somebody like yourself who's not so into it yeah, and yeah, put yeah, yourself yeah. in that environment. It will blow your brain. Yeah. Yeah. The Driven Chat Podcast in association with Paramex Digital. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. And with the, that, like the occasion that you got that record, were you going for a record at that point? Or? No, I was going for the race win. Right. So um, all race uh, was between myself and Dean Harrison. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dean actually led... The whole race, the entire... So the, so the other thing that people, if you don't know about TT, for the, so for the Superbike race and the senior race, six laps long, 226 miles of racing altogether. Mm. Standing start, obviously, from the start line. We have two pit stops, so you do two laps into the pits, new rear tyre, full tank of fuel, off you go again. Same again, two laps in, two laps to the end. Generally, the last lap will be the fastest lap because it's a flying lap. Mm. No standing start, no stopping that, slowing down for the pits, anything like that. But also, most of the time, because it's an endurance race, the race is almost over before the end. So the last lap mm. then doesn't become the fastest lap because there's no need. Yeah. Right. Yeah. However, in this race, Dean had led the well, he basically led five and a half, maybe five and three quarter of the laps. I didn't lead at all apart from the last three sectors. Wow. Oh wow. Two sectors, three sectors. Oh my God. It's... So the could almost credit him for that. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's how I it, heard it. was it. Dean's fault that I went as fast as I did, yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah because, totally. because I, I'm very much... And again, this goes back to that risk and people go, oh, you're just an idiot or you're just insane or whatever. And I'm like, well, that's fine. But then also consider that you win the race at the slowest possible pace. Mm-hmm. You don't have to win by five minutes. Yeah. You can win by five seconds or one second. The result's the same. Yeah. A win's a win. Yeah. yeah, so a bit like this year. So like a big since I've done the 135 mile an hour lap, everyone's like, "Oh, you're going to go back next year and break it." And I'm like, "Well, only if I have to." Yeah. yeah. Like I don't need to put myself at that amount of risk. Obviously, the faster you go, the more risk you've got. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But if I don't need to do that, then I won't do that. So like this year, for example, I had an unbelievable year at the TT. I'm not using that word a lot at the minute, but anyway, it's <laughs> apt. Um, I, you know, I won four races out of six. The three big bike races I won. The last 
few laps, I wasn't even at full pace because mm. I had a, over a 10 second gap. So then I'd roll, I was short shifting, yeah. I was breaking early for corners that I knew I could break a lot later for. Okay. I was taking away yeah. the risk. Yeah, yeah. People don't see that. No. no. They don't, or they don't know that that's how I'm approaching it. Mm. So they just think, oh, I you're agree. just an idiot yeah. and you're just, you're riding out of your skin all the time. I'm like, no, I, I ride to what I need to do to win yeah. the race and that's that. Mm. Going back to that 18 race with Dean, we were both pushing the boundaries. Lap records had been broken in every single race that week. It was really, really good for, for weather. Dean was on fire. I was on fire. And obviously, we were pushing each other a bit more, a bit more, a bit more. So all through the race, it was like a little bit faster, a little bit faster. And we were waiting basically to see who reached their limit first, I guess. Oh, I'd freak out straight away. I'm, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not doing this. The slight difference, I think, for me, and this is where I had won the race, is I didn't show all my cards too early i waited until it was already too late for him to respond so i knew i was really strong over the mountain most people knew i was already strong over the mountain because that's where i've been making most of my time that week in all the races so he'd pull away in the first kind of half of the lap second yeah. half lap over the mountain i would then pull it back again mm-hmm. but i knew i had a bit more right. and i hadn't shown that and that's really where i feel that i kind of yeah managed to to nip him at the end, which is why I only led the last couple of sectors. Yeah. Because then it was already too late. Because also what's interesting about the TT, it it is a time trial. And that's not what TT stands for. It's tourist trophy. Everyone always gets that confused. But anyway, we start off in 10 second intervals. He was number two, I think that year, two or five. No, he was number five and I was number 10. So he was ahead of me by 50 seconds on the road. Yeah. So by the time I actually overtook him, he was already 50 seconds further up the road. So for him to then get a pit board to tell him you need to go faster or whatever yeah. was already too late yeah. because we're only four minutes from the end of the <laughs> lap. Oh, wow. So there's a lot of more, there's a lot more strategy to yeah, it than probably what people think about. It must be a very difficult race to strategize, though. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And there's so many variables yeah. and... Mm-hmm. You know, what if your bike starts slowing down already or you yeah. get a mechanical problem or an yeah. issue that you could finish the race, but, you know, maybe if you were a minute ahead, it wouldn't have been so bad. Yeah. But now, because you've sat at 10 seconds ahead, they're going to get caught. Yeah, so there's so many different things that can happen. But, yeah. again, that goes to if, buts, maybe you can't control. And we don't do those, do no, we? No, we don't we do those. Don't we don't do, do those. those. You can't control those. You can't do it. Okay, your way of remembering things, of structuring things in your mind, like you remember dates, you remember the times, you remember where, what position someone was in, their speed, I was 10 seconds faster. It, it's, do you look at everything like that? You program things maybe very differently to, and put yeah, things maybe. in there. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't consciously do it. It's yeah. just, yeah. It's good. It's, yeah, I kind of, most... Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not necessarily good at remembering things. Like if I'm asked to do something here at work or something, someone goes, "Oh, can you just do that for us?" And I'll be like, "Yeah, no, as I do it in a minute, I'll probably forget." Yeah. But then if you can ask me, you know, where did you finish at the northwest in your first ever race? I'm like, yeah, I was ninth. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> a guy might was in front of me, and yeah, yeah, like, that's my yeah. Mind, I don't. I don't can... know. I can remember stuff like that. Like I know in my first night at the TT, I did 115.1 mile an hour average on my first. Wow. night and I know that's the fastest ever first night newcomer up until this year when Glenn went so oh, th- yeah. there's all sorts of these weird facts and figures in, in my head yeah. for some reason <laughs> but yeah. but yeah I, I'm not sure what about the mental health side of I guess of being a sportsman or being an athlete but also being a racer like how do you deal with the pressures you're under and the highs the lows um, I don't really know 
because mm. I'm too laid back to, to worry <laughs> about it. I'm not. I'm not too bad. I mean, maybe that's a question to ask my my close friends and crew yeah. chief and and team boss, really. I guess, but um, I'm generally speaking pretty chilled out about everything. Mm. I don't get too het up about most things. Yeah, there's the odd time I do, but the the lows are the hardest bits. That you know, when you're struggling, that's mm. as in struggling with. And I always think it's everything about mental health and results and all the rest of it is always when things are not going your way it's when you're trying your heart out in your 20th that's when that's when you've got to have not only be strong in yourself but have a strong crowd around you yeah that's very true it's not just you it's the people that are around you and it's about them not blaming each other not blaming you not like you not blaming them it's you Is react it, to circumstance, don't yeah, you? What's of course going, you do. Yeah. You feed off do. of people as yeah. well. Yeah. As well. Yeah. It's that importance of... You know, yeah. thinking about who you socialise with, who you include in your friendship group, because it is contagious. Your energy mm-hmm. in, in people is very, very contagious. If one person is really down in the dumps, it can be quite cancerous. It can, yeah. it can feed off, and either the rest of the group needs to fix that and fix them, or, it or that person needs down. to go. Yeah, yeah. 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 because it yeah. does. It will change yeah. the dynamic completely. Yeah, like, like this year, we've had a tough year with FHO racing in British Superbike. It's not been the best year yet. Last year, which was the first year for the team, I finished fifth in the championship. I won a couple of races. Is. I had five or six podiums out of the year. Everything was rosy. Yeah. We've come into this year. I'm actually going slightly faster everywhere we're going, and the results have been worse. Mm. And it's been really hard. You know, it's it's like from Faye's point of view, Faye who owns the team, she's really new to it all as well. So mm. she's kind of come into it. <laughs> the worst thing we could have done is I finished third and I finished on the podium in our first race weekend, which was the worst thing we could have done because then she was like oh this is nice and easy we can just turn up on the podium and crack on I'm like it doesn't always work and really that whole first year went really well for us all she finished third in the Superstock Championship I finished fifth in the British Superbike Championship wins podiums both classes all along so it was like everything's rosy this year not polar opposite because we've now had a couple of podiums and stuff but it's been tough it's been really hard and you know she's not questioning, but kind of going, why is, you know, what happened from this last year to this year? What's the differences? Yeah. What's this? What's that? And because she's trying to also understand what's going on. And then us as a team need to not blame each other and not go, oh, it's because he's done that wrong or he's yeah. not riding right or this is not right. Or, you know, you've got to be like, well, this is the reason why. And this is why we think we're in this situation. This is what we're trying to do to rectify it. Yeah. yeah. That's human nature, though, isn't it? Yeah, I it is. It's like, well, it's your yeah. fault. Yeah, your fault. <laughs> you did that. It's all you, John. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's all you. Most of the time it is, actually. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I never get anything wrong. Um, ever. <laughs> ever. Ever, ever. I just don't check. Um, <laughs> would you therefore say, so those times that, you know, maybe you had not a great year professionally on the bike is that when you started thinking about okay what happens when this does all end uh not then so much because you know even at that point in 2014 i had a lot of debt Mm. had a lot of debt i wasn't earning any money i still had a full-time job Mm. um so yeah it's something i didn't touch on like i didn't get paid obviously till 13 which i only then got 12 grand for the whole year (laughs) which is not enough to to live on you know i had a full-time job so i was working as well as racing as most racers do to a point especially again especially in bike racing because there's not the money in it yeah um 14 was a massive changing year for me so from not having a ride at the start of the year to doing 
really good at the Northwest. Mm. And then doing obviously awesome at the TT. You know, I did 129.1 mile an hour average at the TT in my first year. <laughs> Um, so that at the time was the fastest ever newcomer got beaten by Glenn Irwin this year but that's eight years later Mm. and he did it on a super bike I did it on a stocker so we're talking like the development difference is huge just in bikes alone Um, but yeah I did 129.1 I finished 11th in the senior race as a newcomer which is yeah strong nearly inside the top 10 I finished 8th in the superstar race so I had a really really good TT off the back of that Interestingly enough, social media public were all going, how come this rider hasn't got a BSB ride? What's happening with the world? You know, he's obviously really good. Why? So I actually got a lot of public support. And because of that, teams and also the championship were then all of a sudden going, oh, well, actually, we could put a bike on for you and we could do this or we could help in this way or that way. And all of a sudden I was starting to get help where before all the doors were shut. But I think because of the social media (laughs) and the public backing, people were then going, actually, maybe we could should be doing something yeah. so yeah then i got on a decent bike that year in a low budget team but a decent bike and i won my first race in bsb later in the year funnily enough at cadwell park just up the road <laughs> in the pouring down rain which <laughs> always levels out any indifferences between bikes and teams or mm. whatever you know yeah. the rain's a great level as everyone always says uh, i managed to win the race and pretty much not looked back since I've had some really, really good support from sponsors over the years and managed to, from that point, actually quit my job, Mm. concentrate just purely on racing for for a while. So the end of 14, I did that. 15, I did full British Superbike Championship with that same team, the RAF team as it was at the time, uh, and the TT, and went even faster at the TT, the 131.6 in my second year, um, finished fifth or sixth in the senior which is really really good nearly on the podium in a couple of races in my second year which is good yeah. strong yeah. Uh, and then by the third year so by 16 i actually had a factory kawasaki ride so i went from zero wow. in 14 to 16 well the end of 15 signing a contract at 18 months later to mm-hmm. ride for the factory kawasaki team i actually get paid properly with a decent team decent bike decent budget behind so it's weird how the whole kind of thing turned around so from that point onwards i've earned all right money it's not mm. decent money mm. it's okay money yeah. you know it's not it's not enough to to be funny enough being the maldives every week but yet 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 never say never yeah never say never but like from 17 i've then been on the podium every year at the tt from 18 i've won a race at least one every year in fact at least two every year i won two in 18 i won three in 19 uh, and then obviously we've not had TT for a couple of years, but mm. I won four this year. Um, so because of the winning and there is some prize money, which is not ridiculous, but it is there. And yeah. I get a bit of bonuses from loads of my personal supporters and like the leather company, the helmet company, all all them sort of things mm. are then paying a little bit of bonus money towards it. All builds up. Mm. Yeah. Um, I live in my mo- motorhome. I don't have a house. That, that saves a lot of money, like more than you'd ever believe. So mm. I managed to like pay all my debts off. I lived in the motorhome even then, back in like 13, yeah. 14. So I like paid all my debts off and then started to actually save some money yeah. and like just kind of build a bit of money up. And then from 19, I think it was around 19-ish anyway, um, that's when I started the PHR performance thing, thinking what can I do that A, helps towards a future for me after racing and, mm. and B, gives me some support later on once I finish racing. So yeah. um, that was where this was kind of born, which is mainly i'd say mainly was kind of driven from my best mate daz who's also the team manager for fho racing and my crew chief 
he was a big instigator in the fact of going, you need to do something. Mm. And yeah. I'm kind of going, yeah, all right, I know, but what do I do? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's really where all this has come from. And did I read somewhere that you have a gin and rum? Yes, I do, yeah. Do you? Yeah, I've got my own make of gin and rum, yeah. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I would love. Yeah, so so off the back of all of that as well, I'd already started doing... So from 17, I did my own merchandise. Mm-hmm. Okay. 16 to 17, I started doing my own merchandise, um, which is getting bigger and bigger and bigger all the mm. time. And I do it differently that it doesn't come through another company it's all done through me so i i help design it and make it get it made get it shipped here then all uh, every round that we go to at bsb or tt or wherever i have my own merchandise stall it is mine the van's mine the tents are mine you know the the staff are mine uh, everything there is because i'm paying for it not some not a third party um i think fans actually quite like that I think yeah. more so than than it's authentic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They actually get to interact with me as well. Like mm. I always go and do a signing on there at some point during the day and that sort yeah. of thing. So it kind of just yeah helps interact. So I was already doing other things to try and make a bit of money on the side, almost if that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> so this is like a bigger development of that, I guess. Yeah. That's so cool. And with the, I guess the chances are there'll be quite a few people listening who've got aspirations to race or get into motorsport. And you mentioned there about, you know, it was a good few years before you took your first check and a good few, and another period of time, another 18 months before the check started becoming decent checks. Regular. And regular. (laughs) Um, Those early years of trying to build up sponsorship, that sort of thing. What was that like for you? Because I guess that's that's often the number Mm. one question and the number one struggle for a lot of people. They're trying to get into the sport. There's so much talent out there Mm. that, and, you know, we've used this cliche comparison so many times here any of us can go and buy football boots and a football yeah. for 50 60 and quid. you can practice as and much as you want yeah <laughs> it doesn't cost anything to practice yeah. and you can do it wherever you like you don't yeah. have to go to special places just yeah. to do practice with things like bikes and cars there's so much talent out there that may never be discovered because people just don't have the funding yeah what was it like for you in the early years going to sponsors before you'd been able to make a real name for yourself and, and build up interest tough and it still is tough, even with a bit of a name in the in the industry. It's it's hard. Mm. It really is hard. And I've come through that social media development as well. You know, mm. from from when I started in early two thousands to now, like the yeah. difference is massive. In some respects, I would say it's actually slightly easier now to get your name out there because okay. of social media. Right. Yep. Yeah. Because when I started, there wasn't any, mm. you know. So MySpace. I, yeah, so yeah, there was there was MySpace yeah. and was it Facepick or something that was one of them? And I, I don't know. I can't showing remember. Yeah, age. yeah, it showed my age. <laughs> um, but yeah, there wasn't really there wasn't the platform to be able to self promote. Mm. The way you did it was by sending an email, which probably went into someone's junk box anyway. And if it went yeah. to their inbox, they put it into the junk. Yeah, you know. It, it yeah, magazines and newspapers were were the way that you got. Mm recognized or tv which is like next to ridiculous to get into or onto um whereas now you know you can set up an instagram page or a facebook Mm. profile or a twitter profile Mm. foc Mm -hmm. and if you're clever enough you can get your name out there without costing yourself anything yeah yeah Yeah. so true whereas pay pay your way to yeah whereas whereas when i was starting out i was making letters and like and and delivering them to businesses which is obviously only ever local it was never Mm -hmm. like on a large scale or sending emails or it was yeah 
in some respects more difficult but however now obviously everybody's also got the access to make an instagram page a facebook page so then you've got more competition because of that yeah so then you need to make ways of making yourself stand out more yeah it's a tough one yeah sponsorship in general is tough Mm. yeah it's just about i guess if anyone is wanting to get into to racing they've just gotta because i would you say I don't want to say you've been lucky, but would you say from the relationships like you had, like with your dad, the job he did, being you know mechanic, like luck probably played a little bit. Yeah, it's definitely. Like nature yeah. nurture, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, of course it is. Yeah. yeah, I think the best advice I could give to somebody that wants to start out or wants to try and find sponsorship or anything along them lines is you need to remember that sponsorship is a two-way street. Mm. There are too many people that go put with a hand out, going, yeah. "Can I have? Can I have? Can yeah. I have?" Or yeah. "I need, I need, I need." It works both ways. Mm. Yeah. If somebody is going to give you, especially monetary value mm. or you know, money in your pocket, you need to give them something back. And that doesn't mean that oh, I'm going to put a sticker on my bike yeah. and that's that. You yeah. need to actually do something for yeah. them. You need to give them their value with yeah. however you can do it. Obviously, they know that they're paying to help. So they know that some of that money or most of that money is going to go on the bike. I get that. Mm. But you 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 need to be able to actually give something back to the mm. person or the yeah. company or whatever it may be. Yeah. And I think loads of people forget that. Yeah. yeah. Loads of people do. forget yeah. that. They just go, oh, I need or I want and I can I, I have, can I have. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I get it now. Funnily enough, it's interesting because I'm seeing the other side of it now because because now that I am somebody that's, bit more well-known in the industry and I've got my own company going and all the rest of it, I get the emails going, mm. can you come and sponsor me and can wow. I do this and can you do that for me and can I have a bike and, you know, there's all these mm. different scenarios and ways that people... Stand. And I, I remember being that person yeah. and it took me a... not a long time but but a while to, to understand that you also have to give back. Yeah. Like that's that really person advice, isn't actually. just going to yeah. give you free money. No, Nothing's right. free. No. <laughs> I always, there's a reason for I it. <laughs> and advertising is one thing, but that isn't necessarily where most people get their value from. It no, depends on the it. company, it depends on the person. Yeah. But most of the time it's about experiences or it's about, you know, this is where, I mean, loads of people mm. and millions <laughs> of pounds get spent on hospitality when it mm. should be spent mm. on the car or the bike or whatever, or the rider or the team. And it has to be spent on hospitality. But that's because that company or them companies that are sponsoring that need to bring their clients along mm-hmm. so that they generate more money and better relationships. So then they can maybe sponsor you even more. Mm. Yeah. You know, so yeah. there's, it is a bit of a yeah. vicious always... circle to a point, but... Yeah, it's understanding it, the it's, game. It's understanding it. what, it is, yeah. Yeah. what your client wants because that's technically what they end yeah. up being. Your sponsors are your clients; they're people that you yeah. need to look after. Mm. It's uh, the the comparison I use because I used, but worked for, worked in and around and managed various companies and brands that have always been quite attractive to people that want sponsorship. And the one thing I always mm. used to say to people, which ties in quite nicely with with what you said there, is you have to think of a sponsorship request like a company looking to advertise on a billboard but you are the billboard and where are you at the moment are you the billboard that sat at home not even near a window or are you a billboard that's already built the platform outside and that's on the side mm. of the building or are you the build uh, are you the billboard that's on the top of the building that's previously had other adverts on and if you're not even outside the house yet if yeah. you're not even on the wall you know you could be out on a wall but you might be around the back of the house where nobody can see it you've got to you have to kind of think in that way and think about as you say there peter the 
the view that the consumer is going to see and you know what is the value back and you're right it does seem to be this bizarre culture now where people do seem to think i should just have this mm. i should just phone up coca-cola right now <laughs> and um you know they make so many millions a year yeah why can't why, i just have 50 grand yeah, yeah. Why can't I, just, I mean no more we could go no there. i know that there are a, a good few friends of mine are in a, a various uh, whatsapp groups and instagram groups which is where they share their business owners who share the sponsorship requests that come in and some of them are just amazing like <laughs> and i'm talking we've got everything from you know small car parts companies through to a friend of mine that manages a social media account for a very 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 expensive car manufacturer we're talking millions of pounds of hypercars and they will get weekly messages from people going hi um can i just have one <laughs> there's no harm really? yeah and i and the message will read something along the lines of you know, I just thought there'd be no harm in asking if I could just have them. And, and you know, I, I admire their balls. I know, well, this, I mean, but this is the. Do thing. you reckon though that they're, they're, in their head they're thinking, well, if I message a hundred companies, yes. one company might just say yes. Yeah, I guess yeah. so. I guess <laughs> that's they, what they do anyway. There must be elements of it, but yeah, I mean, without trying to you know, go much too much on my backstory, but I used to run the production logistics for the Gumball Rally. And we, again, year, like year on year, we'd get people messaging us via social media asking for free spots. On, a, on this 50,000, pounds event. I feel a little bit <laughs> Can you me. get me a spot, though? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I might yeah. be able to get you a spot. to my yeah. email, yeah. please. Yeah, because your billboard is in a really good place. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah my yeah, doubt back. It is weird, isn't it, this, this world of entitlement. And we all yeah. have to kind of, we all have to have that, have a go. We have to put ourselves yeah. out there. Yeah. We have to be seen and we have to start somewhere. Um, but yes, it is definitely... It's a generational it's worth, thing, though. It's worth looking at that. Mm picture you know, take a take 10 paces back and look at the bigger picture and put yourself in the picture first yeah before going barging your way through doors going i think maybe because maybe because social media is so accessible that's mm. maybe where the yeah. entitlements come from whereas Perhaps, whereas i yeah, really yeah. had to work at it yeah. because there wasn't yeah. any of that yeah. no. so because i've worked at it i then continued working at it even though the platforms are there yeah yeah, yeah. I think it helps that you immerse yourself in it, as in, you know, your again, your 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 friends were in teams. Your dad had the job; he had it. I think with any industry, if you immerse yourself in that world, you're gonna meet people. You're gonna mm. come across, you know, jobs that they'll be like, oh, we actually need, you know, well, that's with my industry anyway. You know, we actually need. What do I do? A presenter? Mm. We need somebody who can talk. But that's how you immerse yourself in it. You do come across the opportunities, I think, mm. and you gain the knowledge. Yeah. And but yeah, it's a different it's a different generation now. But how long do you see yourself doing this for? Mm, I get asked that quite a bit, actually. Yeah. I think it must be because I'm getting old. <laughs> That's why. Yeah. You, 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 you don't age. get asked that when you're 18. No. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> when are you going to grow out of this? Yeah. When are you about done yet? Or? Yeah. <laughs> Um, I actually don't really know at the minute I can't see myself ever stopping but that's just because I'm enjoying it so much Um, I'm 35 now so I am one of the older riders on the Brit Superbike grid however I'm also still at the front which is nice not all the time but but generally speaking I'm somewhere near the front so especially while you're near the front you don't ever stop do you? No no you don't no so I mean really if I stay fast, then you could probably be in Subbike for... I could probably be in Subbike another 10 years if I stay fast. You know, right. if you end up being rubbish, then obviously you're going you're gonna to stop before then. To, yeah. But, you know, if you look at people like Shaky Byrne, Chris Walker, Michael Rutter, you know, they were still in Superbike at, at mid-40s. So wow. that is possible. Yeah. 
for road racing, you can stretch that a bit further. Look mm. at McGuinness and Rutter now. They're both 50 and did TTs this year. Yeah. All right, they're not at the front, but they are still enjoying themselves and they're still having, yeah. they're doing what they want to do. Yeah. And making a living. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So do what, will I feel like that when I'm 50? I have no idea. Like, I don't know what I'm going to feel like in five years' time. But mm. as it stands at the minute, I'm happy to continue and want to continue. Yeah, which is good. Mm. And that's what it is, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, do you find that the... Uh, I'll, I'll say this because we are exactly the same age, by the way. So I, 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 I don't... I didn't want to... Well, you had a hard paper out. Yeah, I could. <laughs> tell you, you're telling me. Hey, at least you've still got hair. I was like 20 when I lost my hair. That was it. Bold. Instant age 10 years. <laughs> it's fine. It's weight reduction. Think of it like that. Do you find that the, the recovery post-race now is, is getting a little bit harder to deal with? No, not particularly. Okay, that's Just you good. job. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, no, I struggle to get out of bed in the mornings <laughs> these days, so that's good to hear. Yeah, I'd say the only thing that... Um, but I've always struggled with it is my knees, but I think that's because uh-huh. I'm, I'm tall. I'm six foot two. Yeah. Mm. And I'm really conscious, because I've always been taller than most of the other riders on the grid, I'm really conscious of always being tucked in. Mm. So even on a superbike, I am like behind the screen more than I'm above it, yeah. which you don't tend to find on a superbike rider. They tend yeah. to be a bit more... Because it doesn't really matter. You've got 240 horsepower cares about being behind the screen but i always do and because of that i'm all i always have my pegs actually further up as well than a lot of the riders so i'm actually a bit more cramped on the bike so because of that i i my knees hurt after race weekend (laughs) but but they've always hurt so yeah yeah, that's not really yeah it's not really made any difference to me to be fair but um it's a great opportunity for volta roll (laughs) (laughs) they're listening right now (laughs) or volta roll's biggest competitor i've no idea who that might be but deep heat there we go yeah, yeah. Uh, for, for racing into the later chapters of life. <laughs> In fact, Walter Rob got an advert with some old granddad at the moment. Where I don't know, like but they need fixing one. Fixing a bike. Yeah. And it, yeah, every time I watch it, it terrifies me because it's like old man in his workshop fixing his motorbike and he think, looking at the bike wistfully. Then he gets a tube of Walter Rob, puts that on his back, and suddenly he's, he's out on his motorbike with his granddaughter. And I watch it going, yeah, I don't know if I'd get. I don't know if I'd let my daughter, my hypothetical daughter, get on Granddad's motorbike <laughs> just because he's put a bit of ultra on his back. <laughs> but yeah, that's it. Insight into your strange life. Strange insight into my brain there. Yeah. Whilst watching television. I don't know what you get up to in the evenings. Yeah, <laughs> criticizing TV. adverts. Yeah. yeah, my God. My girlfriend will be listening. Is nodding. Yeah, that's exactly what he does. Yeah, <laughs> that other that bloody Lloyd's bank advert with the horses running around the town. That drives me nuts every time I see that. If you were in a town and you saw a load of black horses running through the town, you wouldn't go out and try and pet them. You'd be like, phone the police, phone the RSPCA, something yeah, mental's happened. Anyway, we digress. Let's talk about this wonderful workshop because it is something to celebrate. You did that thing that everyone does when we go into a business premises of, oh, it's not finished yet and, we're not, and we've got <laughs> yeah, things to do yeah. and we're still painting walls as pictures go up. But already, I can see that this is an amazing space that mm. is going to be, yeah, with the addition of the rolling road and other bits and pieces. You started going on to that journey of, of how it started. What was the plan from the beginning and, and what has that evolved into since? All sorts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean... Um... I started at another unit, which I still have around the corner, about 30 seconds from here. So that I've still got that unit at the minute, which has got all the crap in it that you can't see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. That's the storage unit at the minute. Yeah. So we started there. Um, originally, that's where the Kawasaki, factory Kawasaki team ran from. Oh, really? Wow. I, yeah. When they finished, I took the building on because living in my motorhome, I don't have a garage mm-hmm. mm. um, and I needed some space to put all my stuff and I was starting to 
I always wanted to be able to keep bikes that I'd raced and never could afford to. Mm. So after the the year with them and then moving to Smith's and all the rest of it and I was earning all right money, I was starting to buy some of the bikes that I'd raced in the past or cool. and I wanted somewhere that to store really them cool. all. So I took that unit on. So that's where the unit came from. And then it turned into, well, actually we should do a bike shop or you should do a performance center or you should do something to earn some money on the side. Da, 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 da. That has then built into what you're now sat in, <laughs> yeah. which is further around the corner. We've got about 6,000 square foot um, as a base place. And then we're actually sat on a mezzanine at the minute. So I mm. guess we must be at about 9,000 square foot at the minute. The next door, I've actually only just bought. So I only got that a couple of months ago. Um, so mezzanine's going into that in the next few weeks. So if you do ever come back, it'll look different again. Yeah. We're going to have a bit of a showroomy side yeah. to it as well because at the minute we don't really have anywhere for anyone to go. Uh-huh. Um, I want to do a bit of a handover bay where, you know, if we build, because we build quite a few race bikes or track bikes for people, I want to be able to make the experience a bit nicer. And in bikes, people don't really do a handover bay mm. as much. Yeah. So okay. I would like to do that just yeah. to be different. Yeah. Um, so we're going to create some sort of a space in the, in the new building next door. Um, a bit of a showroomy type mm. thing, but with a space where you yeah get your bike or whatever. It's so, so true. I mean, some I, pretty lights above it. And I've, I remember the day that I bought my first posh bike I bought my my first ever Ducati Panigale and I was like so excited about the day that it was going to get delivered and I enjoyed the process of buying it but it turned up in the back of a transit van yeah. and it just got wheeled <laughs> off and I was like oh. right um, <laughs> so cool thanks um, but so that's that's a that's a really lovely idea mm. yeah I think that yeah. experience of yeah. especially when you are spending you know good money on something special you kind of want that whole experience to be yeah from yeah. special yeah, yeah exactly that and this this so this started off as just doing track bikes originally to start with i only had one employee to start with plus myself we're now at five employees plus myself plus then kind of how i've done it is through other businesses as well mm-hmm. so the graphics guy here is is actually technically another business yeah the suspension guy Woody, he's also another business, and then the dyno is also like another business. So it's actually four businesses inside of one building. Mm-hmm. That's great. Idea. So it kind of yeah, we all pass work to each other, yeah. and we're all in one place. It makes total sense, and mm. it also meant that I didn't have to spend all the money on all <laughs> the equipment, and also finding the right people. Because mm. how do you That's find the right people part. to em- yeah, yeah. T- to employ? Yeah. Whereas if you've got that, they've got that business already sat there. They were all around this area already. We've just put everyone into one building. So mm. when these buildings came up for sale, we kind of all had this idea and I'd spoke to them about it and everyone was on board. Mm. So it just kind of worked. So mm. the buildings are mine and everything you see in it's mine apart from what's in their rooms really. Mm. And then they rent back off me. So that helps me a little bit and yeah, all kind of swings in roundabouts. Yeah, helps it helps each other. We all help it? each yeah. other. Yeah, somebody yeah. comes in for a tune up. Oh look, and yeah. now we we By can do the way, work and let's put it on the rolling road. And, yeah, exactly, yeah, great exactly. Stuff. Or someone comes in for suspension, and while they're here, they go, oh, "Actually, I'll just have a service," or yeah, you know, yeah. whatever it may be. There's yeah. a lot to be said for a one-stop shop, isn't there? That's just awesome. yeah. the bike, yeah. let it go. Yeah, and I, I keep saying one-stop shop, and I think it's... Yeah, I need to find something more on market. It sounds a bit cheap, doesn't it? It does, actually. Yeah. <laughs> one yeah. Stop, yeah. But, but one-stop shop is correct, but like, I don't know how to say it better. So if you come up with a better tagline, please let yeah, me know. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> All-inclusive? All-inclusive. Like All-inclusive. No, I don't know that. Yeah. So I think, yeah. Answers on a postcard podcast at drivenchat.com <laughs> yeah, if you've got the term... <laughs> Um, yeah, that I could yeah. use. Thanks. Yeah. And yeah. we'll pass it on. <laughs> and in return, we'll send you a hat or something. <laughs> yeah, that's all right. Maybe. Yeah. 
<laughs> but yeah, we're okay. even gonna, we're going to do some bike nights here and stuff as well next year. I think that's the kind of plan. So we have a place up the road from here called Willingham Woods. Mm -hmm. Really, really popular with bikes and bikers. There's like two or three, four hundred people turn up there on a oh, Wednesday wow. night usually. Um, there's a little cafe there and stuff. And so we're only about 11 miles from there. So nice. as you've seen, I mean, there's a big container in the middle of the yard, which is never normally there. That's for, It looks like somebody's taking the building on next to us. <laughs> so that's why there's a big container in the middle that's never normally there. But anyway, we've got quite a big car park here. Yeah. Um, so with that showroom, if I can then open that, which we should do before the middle of next year when the summer mm -hmm. starts, mm -hmm. we could then do some bike nights and stuff as well. And yeah. maybe we'll get some outside catering in a burger van or a pizza van or something different every other week yeah. or Great. thinking about maybe even putting some big projector or big TT laps or something yeah. or I don't know, BSB so races. Would or, that, yeah. yeah, I could feel like, I could feel already. <laughs> I'll, like, I'll, I'll be there for that. Yep. Yeah. Just being a place that bikers can come to like yeah. somewhere else yeah. that they can come and ride to. Cause I guess we're all, they're always wanting somewhere to go and just yeah, go and have a coffee true. or a tea or whatever it may be and because of the big car park here there's loads and loads of room and mm. after 5.30 no one's here so it's it ideal of, yeah, yeah. It's yeah perfect really so um, and there's quite a community I suppose of yeah. races crazy yeah. races well, yeah there's actually a lot in Lincolnshire for some Huge reason I don't know why but yeah must be something in the water yeah. yeah, that's where we are now, isn't it? We are in Lincolnshire. <laughs> My sense yeah. of geography. Say, geography is not your point. Oh my god, point, it's though. so bad. We can, we can say we're anywhere right now, and I believe you as well. But that's interesting to know. We're not in the Maldives, though. Like, We've established that. We're from, definitely from the not in the Maldives. Yeah. No matter how similar it is. <laughs> <It's> so similar. <laughs> we, I mean, we we've spoken a couple of times in previous episodes on the podcast about the different communities in the automotive space, and the biking community is like no other, isn't it? In the sense of you can have the nicest car in the world. You can have, you know, a cool old custom bike, uh, a cool old custom car that you can drive around the road. But sometimes, even if you go up to other car-focused events, there's sometimes a bit of a feeling of separation of, okay, I don't have a Ferrari, so I can't talk to Ferrari man. I mean, there mm. are locations, Caffeine the Machine is a perfect example of this, where they're very much battling that, and it's a very much an all-inclusive thing. But in the bike world, I've noticed, and I noticed this ever since I started riding, I was quite late to it. So I didn't even get on a bike until I was in my late 20s. And having kind of only known the automotive world from the sense of car ownership and track days, I was amazed to see how close and how welcoming the bike community is. And I just don't think there's anything else that's comparable to that. So it must be quite interesting from your side, seeing it as a racer and looking at the communities that come and watch you versus the people that come to come here as a customer and the idea of hosting events here i think it's just going to be brilliant isn't mm. it you're going to have Hope so, so many people yeah. <laughs> that's, the idea. that's the theory yeah. <laughs> i mean john will be here clearly i'll be here yeah, yeah. Exactly. yeah. it's a long old ride but it's worth the journey yeah say. yeah, yeah no the, the bike community is really close-knit mm. even whether that be from a racing point of view, we're, all, we're like one big family. I mean, obviously, there's always going to be people that don't get on with for whatever reason. Yeah. But as a general rule, 99.9% mm. .9 of people, everyone gets on. Everyone knows everyone else. Mm. We are like one big family. And I think oh. from a from a biking community, like say, even outside, mm. like you go to them Willingham Woods, there is all sorts of different bikes, all sorts of different people, male, female, kids, adults, doesn't make any difference. Yeah. You know, everyone's there. there there'll be, I turned up, a couple of weeks I don't normally ride on the road and I actually rode one of my road bikes I've got a few road bikes that I'm collecting that 
hopefully are going to appreciate in the next few <laughs> years. So I've got a few, I've got like an Aprilia RS250 and stuff. I've never ridden one. I've always wanted to race one. I always wanted to ride one. I bought one about five, six years ago. I've not even ridden it. So we put it through its MOT and taxed and tested it and all the rest of it. So I rode it to Willingham Woods of the week and like that bike is from 1995. Mm. So it's a really old bike and I parked next to Ducati 916 that's worth like 15 grand straight away and then there was like a higher buzzer and there was all sorts of these other things and everything's together all parked right next to each other it doesn't yeah. make any difference yeah. everyone's coming up and saying hello and it's not just because it's me it's just because it's yeah. the biking yeah. community yeah it is, really it is fascinating and I'd love to dive into the psychology of it some someday mm. but yeah it is amazing I was going to ask about road riding actually is this something you enjoy? Because I know a lot of mm. racers don't particularly enjoy riding on the road. Is Not massively. Mm. The problem I have is, right from being a kid, I've only ever ridden bikes flat out. Yeah. So there's no part throttles. It's either flat out, redlining in every gear, or I'm braking. Yeah, <laughs> there is no in-between. There's no 30 mile an hour brrr, sat there doing nothing, or yeah. 40 or 50, 60, 70, whatever you want to... Like, I don't do that. You're so too I, good for the roads, basically. Is that what you're saying? No, just too fast for the roads. <laughs> right, yeah, right, okay. That yeah. is the issue. Yeah. Uh, so even on, like, that little 250, yeah. luckily, I mean, that thing absolutely flat out will probably only do about 130 mile an hour. Yeah. But bear in mind, like, 1,000cc bikes will do 100 mile an hour in first gear now. That's right, yeah. Wow. So, like, if I rode a 1,000cc bike on the road, and I have done, and I've been out with mates who, who ride all the time, are really competent riders, and I'm following them going, come on, get on with it. But then look <laughs> down, and we're doing way above where we yeah. should be. Yeah. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll just sit here. Yeah. I won't go out front. Because if I go out front, what I think is slow is, like, ridiculously fast. Yeah. <laughs> so I tend to not ride on the road. Or if I do, I ride a lot smaller bikes or big naked bikes that, that mm. yeah, if you did 100 mile an hour, they're blowing you off the back because there's no yeah. windshield or whatever. Yeah. So I try and stick to stuff no like that. No temptation that way. Well, even if I tried, you, yeah, you, can't, you can't really yeah. go that fast. So yeah. I tend to try to do... If I do ride on the road, I tend to ride a yeah, much smaller bike. I find a peaked <laughs> helmet is often a good one as well. Yeah, yeah, you go yeah, over about 16, suddenly you start feeling yes. like your head's being peeled off. You're like, okay, yeah, yeah. that's my warning <laughs> yeah. to keep things calm. Yeah. <laughs> Are you comparing your speed then to... <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> yeah, no. Got it, got it. Sorted. I will make it very clear. <laughs> definitely, definitely not. Not all the same. No, no. no. <laughs> so people that are listening, if they want to learn more about you, Peter, and perhaps even maybe bring the bike in for a service, a bit of a tune-up, yeah. um, the, where's the best place to head to? Uh, any of the social medias, so PHR Performance. Uh, we're on Instagram and Facebook uh, mainly. Uh, they can head to my website, which is peterhickman.net. Um, website's a little bit complicated because it involves everything that's to do with me. So whether it be my racing, my merchandise, yeah. Ovali, which we've not touched on, but the Ovali are the mini race bikes that we run for kids and I run, well, we run oh, a kids championship as well. Um, so we import though. I'm the importer for them as well for the UK and Ireland. Um, so that's all part of the website as well as PHR performance. So it's all a little bit, there's a lot on that website. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can get easily confused, uh, but there is contact details on there, obviously phone numbers, email addresses and all the rest of it. So, uh, or you can just nip in. We're on the That's industrial amazing. state in Louth, in Fair, Fairfield Industrial State. We're really easy to find, um, not far from B&Q and stuff. So, yeah, we're, <laughs> we're pretty easy to find anyway. So anyone that wants mm. to just come and uh, have anything done to their bike, they're more than welcome. Fantastic. Brilliant. Fantastic. And your bike here. <laughs> Yeah, again, a bit of a commute. But yeah. <laughs> again, I don't understand because yeah. I don't know, quite know where we are in the UK. Yeah. Two and a half hour ride for a quick service. Oh, yeah. Really? yeah. 
Yeah. Because we're up. We're the, in the north. Yeah. North and yeah. east. Northeast. Well, middle and east, really. I don't Just north me. of you. North, <laughs> yeah, north, <laughs> of, uh, north of London. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we're miles away. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, how did I get here? You couldn't walk home. I'll put it that oh. way. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. We're far. Okay. Thanks. There we go. Well, Peter, thank you so much. It's been yeah. fascinating to come and learn a bit more about you and the way that you think and yeah i think there'll be hopefully there'll be mm. a good few people listening that would have taken something away who perhaps aren't necessarily bike people out and out i think i always think it's interesting unpeeling the brain of somebody that puts <laughs> themselves through mm. ridiculous things like crazy things throwing no yourself from the tt yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> no worries thanks for having me yeah. hope people have enjoyed it mm. yeah, well, yeah i'm sure thank sure you very have. much yeah <laughs> Well, that's it. That brings us to the end. If you did enjoy it, then why not um, send us an email and tell us, podcast at drivenchat.com, if you've got any additional questions or points or things to raise that we could maybe pass on. Uh, alternatively, you can leave us a review. If you're feeling especially generous, you can do that via Apple Podcasts or on other platforms you have the opportunity to give us star ratings. And I'd say about five is fair. I'd say that, definitely. Yeah. Give the show a five. Give me a six, just because. Give Rachel six. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't exist, but it's all about me. Yeah. <laughs> just find Rachel on social media and just send six star emojis. I'll take it. I'll reply. That's done. <laughs> that's what I do. <laughs> um, that's it. We're done. Thank you yeah. so much for listening. Thank you, Peter. Yeah, thanks, You're Peter. Thank you. And we shall speak to you again next week. Bye. The Driven Chat Podcast in association with Paramex Digital. You dream it, we bring it to life. Find out more at drivenchat.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Oh, wow. You've made it to the end. The very end. And it's John Markar here again, reminding you that this podcast, the Driven Chat podcast, has now run its course and has come to an end. To find the new format, search the Driven podcast in your preferred podcast app or head on over to the website driven.site to find some quick and easy links through to the new episodes in the new formats on your preferred apps. Thanks. Bye.